0: Good morning. I've got some good news. If God is for us, who can be against us? Why don't you personalize that? And let's put it this way. Is God, if God is for me, who can be against me? Why don't you say that? If God is for me, who can be against me? Some of you need to hear that this morning. You feel like life is against you. Everybody's against you but if God is for you, it doesn't matter who's against you. Amen. Amen. So good to be with you today. I can't think of a place I'd rather be than right here at Glad Tidings. I love worshiping with the nations and and uh, encountering God and baptizing new believers. I love the word of God. And so we're going into the word of God today and we're going to begin in Acts chapter one. So if you have your Bibles. I invite you to turn there as we conclude our series called Culture Shock. I want to say thank you to my wife for preaching last week, doing a fantastic job. She addressed a, a, a very difficult topic, um, kind of a, an awkward topic, especially in, in, in the church culture, church community, and that is mental illness. Uh, It's a a topic that um, a lot of people run away from because they don't understand it. They don't know what to do with it. Is it a spiritual problem? Is it a physical problem? Uh, How many of you know we've got to talk about those cultural challenges? And I was just so pleased, even though I wasn't able to be with you in this service and the second service, I was so pleased to hear last week how many responded for prayer, either for themselves or for somebody they love and know that is affected by mental illness. I think we can give praise to God that he is the healer of uh, spirit, soul, the mind part of us and body. And uh, we know God uses different methods to heal. And sometimes it's a supernatural miracle. Other times it's a healing process. And God even uses, yes, doctors, surgeons, medicine. And we thank God for that, too. But we acknowledge that he's the one who heals. He's the one who heals. So, Carrie, thank you for being transparent and bold last week. We love you. And as I've said before, the worst part about her preaching is, is when I have to follow up and preach the next week. <laughs> you know, this morning I want to talk about, about community and the cultural challenge of, of living like a community of believers in a culture that's very individualistic. So how many times throughout your week do you say to somebody or does somebody say to you, you know, we need to get together sometime? And what do you say? Yeah, that'd be good. We need to get together sometime. Happens all the time, right? You never say, you know what? I'm really not interested in getting together with you. (laughs) You know, we we usually just, yeah, that'd be good. We should do that. And then what happens? Nothing happens, right? And part of us says, you know, I know I need to be together with with the body of Christ more often. I know I do, but then there's another part of you that says, I just need some space. I need some time. I want to look at the church that Jesus planted, and it was the church that was actually the first church. We call it the first church, and the story of the first church is found in the book of Acts. Before Jesus left the earth, he, he said, I'm going to do something. I'm going to plant something. I'm going to build something, and it's called the church. And so he did that, and, and, and we're going to look at, at the, first, the, the first steps that this newborn church took. Every baby has its first steps. And we're going to look at some of those first steps and how they developed into this community of believers that actually changed the community that they lived in. There's an incredible phenomenon that took place with this first church. At least I think it's an incredible phenomenon. The phenomenon is this, is that they spent time together. They spent time to get lots of time. Lots of time. There's a unique Greek word that appears 11 times in the New Testament. But 10 of those times, this unique Greek word appears in the book of Acts. And this unique Greek word is the word homothumadon. Homothumadon. And this word this morning is going to help us understand what this community looked like. The NIV translates homothumadon as they were all together the king james version translates homothumadon as they were with one accord okay homo thumadon is a compound of two words two words meaning homo which means what same homo same and thumadon temperature same temperature they were a community of believers with the same temperature Ten times in the book of Acts, we have this Greek word, homothumadon. They were all together, one accord, same spiritual temperature. The first use of this word, homothumadon, is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. After Jesus had ascended into heaven, the 11 disciples and a few women, they went to Jerusalem and they went up into this upper room, the Bible says. Jesus told them to go to the Jerusalem and wait So they went up into this upper room and the Bible says this in Acts chapter one, verse 14. And we're going to actually use the King James version today. Some of you are going to need the gift of interpretation. (laughs) But again, the King James version uses the word with one accord. And that's not talking about a Honda Accord. Okay, so you guys know, let me interpret it for you. By the way, my son, when he bought his first car. He said, Dad, I'm going to buy something dependable. So he bought a Honda Accord. And for some reason, kids these days, they need to name things. They got a name for the first house they live in. And so he's got a name for that. And my son said, I got to have a name for my car. So he came up with the word Yolanda. So he has this gold colored Honda and it's it's Yolanda the Honda. So (laughs) hey, it works for him, you know. Um, I have a truck. I don't have a name for it. Um, So they were in one accord. Here it is. Acts 114. These, meaning those disciples, they all continued with one accord, homothumadon, in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. The second use of the word homothumadon is in Acts 2, verse 1, where the 120 believers gathered on the day of Pentecost. And the Bible says in Acts 2, 1, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were all with one accord, homothumadon, the same temperature. In one place and the Bible says that there came a a mighty rushing wind the sound of a mighty rushing wind that filled the place where they were staying and there appeared to be tongues of fire that came and rested on every single one of them. And they all began to that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That tells me that powerful things happen when God's people have the same temperature. When we come together and we're in one accord with the same spiritual temperature, the wind starts to blow. How many of you know there's a hurricane going down in Texas, right? Now it's a tropical storm. The wind changes things. The rain changes things. Fire changes things. When God's people come together with the same spiritual temperature, it changes things. It changes people. The next occurrence happens in verse forty six as the community of believers had grown to now three thousand from one hundred and twenty to three thousand. They came together and the Bible says in Acts two forty six and they continuing daily. Somebody say daily. Daily. We're having church tomorrow. (laughs) Tuesday. (laughs) Continuing daily with one accord Homothumadon, same temperature. In the temple, not just in the temple, but breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. I like that part. Did eat their meat. How many of you love meat? How many of you love vegetarians? Come on. I love vegetarians. I just don't like to be a vegetarian. So here they come together, they're in the temple, they're daily meeting, same spiritual temperature, breaking bread, having communion, eating meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Again, in chapter four, verse 24, we see the whole community. They're moved by the testimony of Peter and John and how a miracle had taken place and how God had released them. And the Bible says in Acts four, verse 24, when they heard this testimony, when they heard that they lifted up their voice to God with what? With one accord, with one accord. There was this unity, this togetherness, this, this same spiritual temperature that was so very, very powerful. We see it on and on in the book of Acts. Homothumadon is having the same spiritual temperature, and it was the mark, it was the mark, it was the mark of this first church. What if everybody in our community called Omaha Nebraska when they ran into any one of us they would experience the same spiritual temperature. What if they all felt fire? What if they all encountered presence of God? What if they tasted Jesus? Do you think we could change our culture? What if we got on the same page spiritually? What if we had homothumidon? What does it take? What does it take? Well, as you read the book of Acts, you'll see some common threads of things that took place. And there's three things I want to point out to you that created this spiritual temperature, this same temperature. And it was proximity. It was proximity, It was time. And it was sacrifice. Proximity. They they were in proximity. They were close. They were in the same place. A lot. Time. And they sacrificed. They sacrificed their needs for the needs of the community. Homothumadon. Same temperature. Will it happen at Glad Tidings? Because we meet together for 80 minutes on a Sunday morning. Can it happen? Is it possible? We look at this first church and they were together a lot more than 80 minutes a week. A lot more. If your family came together for 80 minutes a week, that was it. You spent no time together outside of 80 minutes. Not even an hour and a half. Do you think that your family would be on the same page having the same temperature? Right. Or would or or would everybody in the family have their own thing and their own ideas and right. Being individualistic. Here's the challenge. We want the book of Acts temperature without the book of Acts proximity, time and sacrifice. Here's our cultural challenge the Western world in which we live here in America is an individualistic culture. It's an individualistic culture. We celebrate the individual. We reward individualism, individual accomplishments. But the first church that we just read about was not birthed in the West where we live. It was birthed in the East. And it was a collectivistic culture, right? So the West, where we live, is primarily an individualistic culture. And the East, where the church was born, the first church, was a collectivistic culture. Let me explain the difference between the two. Great book, Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes, written by Richard Richards and O'Brien. Let me quote. Western cultures are, by and large, individualistic societies. Some of you realize this. You've moved from the East to the West. You've moved... And the most important entity within an individualistic culture is the individual person. The person's identity comes from distinguishing herself from the people around her. Lady Gaga. Right? Very individualistic. She has formed an identity that separates her from many others. The highest goal in, a sort, in this sort of culture is being true to oneself. The supreme value is the sovereignty of the individual. Okay, this is the individualistic culture. Can you see this in America? Can you see this in Omaha? Collectivist cultures, like in the East, are very different. In a collectivist culture, the most important entity is the community. The family, the tribe, the country, and not the individual. Preserving the harmony of the community is much more important than distinguishing himself from the community. Excuse me, I skipped the line. Preserving the harmony of the community is much more important than self expression or self fulfillment of the individual. A person's identity comes not from distinguishing himself from the community, but in knowing and fulfilling his place. Members of collectivist cultures, they make decisions based on the counsel of the elders. The parents, the aunts, and the uncles. And the highest goal of this sort of culture is supporting the community. This is the kind of community the first church was born in. It was a collectivist type of culture. Let me ask you this morning. Would you be offended if I corrected your children? If you have children. Would you be offended if I corrected your children? Would you be offended if I offered you some unsolicited advice? about how to raise your kids, right? How to run your house, how to run your business, how to run your marriage. Would it offend you if I gave you some unsolicited advice or if I corrected your children? And most of you would say, you know what? Yeah, it would offend me. It's none of your business, right? I didn't invite you in your, I'm not gonna, don't tell me how to run my life. Are you with me? Come on, right? That's what most of us would say. The answer to to whether or not you would be offended reveals what kind of culture you grew up in: individualistic, or the idea of collectivist culture. We had a uh, for a number of years uh, a small group in our home, and uh, right now we don't have a small group in our home, but we are part of small groups. My wife and I, but the one we had in our home was. it was an international small group. My wife told you about it before, and uh, so we had a lot of collectivist cultures coming together, right? They valued the community, they valued the tribe, the family, right? And so in that in that in that collective culture kind of small group, if our kids were misbehaving, somebody in our group would have no problem saying, "Hey, hey, don't do that," right? Don't do that, and uh, you know. You know, we didn't barge in and say, hey, what are you doing? You have no business telling our kids, you know, what they can and cannot do, right? You, you, you see the difference here. Now, I think in America, I think at one point we had maybe more of a collectivistic culture and how we, we raise children. Um, I think we're becoming more separate. And we don't want our parents telling us how to be parents or our grandparents telling us how to be parents. I mean, if you know what I'm talking about. But I remember the day when I was a kid and I'd go to, over to grandma and grandpa's house and I remember getting spanked by my grandpa, Right. You know, and I come home, I said, Grandpa spanked me. And dad would say, how many times? (laughs) And then he'd say, it's not enough. (laughs) You know, I mean, that's the culture I grew up in. It was kind of like, you know, you just, that was, it was okay. Uh, But nowadays, you know, don't, don't get into my life. Don't tell me how to raise my kids. Are you with me? Um, So, There's a big difference between the culture that we live in today and the culture that this this first church grew up in. So it's a big cultural challenge. The cultural challenge is, is that Western individualism will cause us to filter everything we do in a way that prioritizes what is best for us as individuals. And but this is not the way in the kingdom of God. It's not the way in God's church. The church is called to be an alternative society, growing in community in a unique way that challenges humanity to live sacrificially, laying down our own comforts, our desires and preferences for the needs of others, just like Jesus. So if we're going to be a people with the same temperature, what's it going to take? It's going to require proximity. We have to live close. We have to be in the same place together. It's going to require time and it's going to require sacrifice. Let's just talk about those and tell a few stories here this morning. Proximity. Um, We have to be together. We have to be together. We have to be a people that, that that gives each other permission to get in each other's business. Okay. this is a bit uncomfortable. This idea of proximity for a lot of us is no, no, we don't want to. We don't want to live in proximity and it freaks some of you out. And you say, I need my space. Right. I need my space. How many of you are like that? I'm like that. Right. My wife's raising her hand. See, she's like that. We need our space. Right. The the uh, the um, uh, the introverts among us, you're thinking, I love my space. I love being by myself. Right. That's all right. That's a good thing. The extroverts are like, hey, when can we get together? My oldest son, man, he is 100% extrovert. And his calendar is packed with togetherness. Ah, uh, That would kill me, right? The truth of the matter is, is I need you to get into my space. In fact, that would be a good thing to say to your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need you in my space. Go ahead. I need you in my space. I can see some of you are sitting far away from somebody. Proving my point here. You might need to just, you know, scoot to the... Here's how I feel about people getting into my space. I don't like it until they do. I don't like people in my space until they get in my space. And then I realize how much I need them in my space. All right? So the introverts out there, you know, I get it. My wife and I get it. We're both introverts. But we need people in our space. The right people. You don't just invite anybody in. But you got to have those people in your space. Sean, she's uh, one of the gals in our small groups. And um, she's a, a single mom, African-American single mom, and she was introduced to her small group long before she even knew about Glad Tidings Church. Here's her story. She says, as upon moving here to Nebraska in 2015, immediately I began receiving phone calls from neighbors in my new neighborhood. One of those calls came from a woman with a funny name, introducing herself to me and asking if it would be okay for my son to stay over and play with her son. I walked down to meet her and she was in the middle of her small group meeting." There were many people sitting around a fire in her driveway. And at that moment, I was thinking to myself, new to the neighborhood. So this is what people do in this neighborhood on a Sunday night. (laughs) Second thought was, I don't see anyone here who looks like me. So probably not my type of group. And she writes, so quick to judge I am. Fast forward about five to six months later, she was searching for a new church home and she visited Glad Tidings. This was my fourth church and uh, that I would visit. And I returned a few more times and felt that this was the place for me and my sons. I attended a meeting to learn more about the church and I completed the application to become a member. During this time, she writes, I attended my first small group with the lady who had the funny name and that I had met months prior. Looking around the room that night and listening, I remember, hey, these are the same people who were sitting in the driveway almost a year ago. This was also around the time of the police shootings. Here I am, a single black woman in a room full of married white people. As a Christian, I always try to find out the meaning of what God is instructing me, especially in situations like this. So with reservation, I listened and I took in all this newness. Once I got home that night, I thought to myself, well, I should probably go back for at least one more group so that they don't think they scared me away. (laughs) The next group, we started out on the topic of love covers. And we quickly switched over to the race issues because of the shootings and everything going on in the world that day. I had watched a podcast from one of the members of the small group, and I had a lot to say. We had a good dialogue back and forth, and I began to feel more comfortable. I could not see any judgments of me in this room. I could see that these people were very much like me. Christians who, although not perfect, genuinely were wanting to do God's work and be more Christlike finding common ground in the word of God and in our fellowship. Sean writes this, I have now been part of this small group for just over a year, and the relationships and friendships that have formed are amazing for me and my sons. Being part of this group has helped me to see that my need for personal and spiritual growth, even in times as these, can come from the most unlikely of places and people. Now I know the people I saw sitting around that fire in the driveway two years ago are just like me, just lighter in skin tone. Pretty cool story. So what did it take for Sean and this group to become one, to, to have the same temperature? Are you with me? It took proximity. It took time. It took sacrifice for them to become a community with the same temperature. You see, on a Sunday morning, we can preach about what we believe. We can rightly divide the word of God. But that's not going to bring same temperature. What's going to bring same temperature is when we come together in proximity, we do life together, we spend time together, we make sacrifices to do it. That's going to bring us in same temperature community, that's going to affect the temperature of our secular community. Time. Time's a big thing. There's only so much of it, right? We have to use our time wisely. And a lot of times we go into, into our small group communities and we think, I'm going to go to this small group, but it has to be worth my time. And so we go to a small group and and if if it doesn't meet a specific need that first time, we're like, you know what? I don't have time for this. Can I tell you, you need to make time for this. Every time I come home every night, I don't expect to have an incredible family gathering that night and walk away. Oh, this was the best day of my life. You know, ah, I just love my family. You know, sometimes I come home and I go, why would I come home? I'm going back to work. Come on, some of you know what I'm talking about. I work taller all day. I don't want to come home to cranky people. My wife's never cranky, by the way. It's my kids. (laughs) Come on, right? You know what I'm talking about. You can't expect every time you get together to be this like, aha moment. You got to have a lot of dull moments together before you have an aha moment together. That's just part of life. And sometimes you go to a small group not for what's because of what's in it for you. You go because of of what's in it for somebody else. It doesn't always have to be about you. I know that's a revelation. So let us sink in. (laughs) Going to a small group doesn't necessarily have to meet your needs. It could be that God's placed you there to meet somebody else's need. We approach small groups with what's in it for me kind of attitude right? We try a group, we don't get anything out of it. So we leave, we say, okay, this must not be for me. Here's another story. Claire and Kemi, listen to their story. Before small group, I, Auclair, did, uh, didn't know a lot of people. Didn't know a lot of people in Omaha. Six months after attending Glad Tidings, I came to my current small group with the intention of growing closer in God. She writes, at small group, I met Kemi, who had started attending only a few months prior. She was just coming out of a season in life where she was trying so hard to meet her spouse, she finally decided to let God take control. She deliberately, listen to this, she chose our small group because it did not have many singles. It was full of families, children, parents, grandparents. Neither of us knew that this was actually God's idea of Christian mingle. (laughs) We've been married for over a year now, and it's amazing to see how much we have grown spiritually. Listen to this. We have so many mentors that pour wisdom into our young marriage. Collective culture. I got filled with the Holy Spirit. Does that sound like the book of Acts? Right? Home same temperature. I got filled with the Holy Spirit. Started praying in tongues for the first time during one of our gatherings. The best part, listen to this, is that we're able also to pour into the teenagers in our small group. The best part, is for her to sacrificially give her life away. Robin, another small group member, she, uh, she ran into me a few weeks ago. She just completed the Ultimate Journey small group, which is a small group that, that you go back into your past and you make peace with your past so it doesn't follow you around all your life. And Robin went to Ultimate Journey phase one and she met me in the hallway and she says, Pastor Walt, I got to tell you, I, I, I feel the love of God for the first time in my life. And most of her life, she's been born again. She's been saved. I, for the first time I life, I know that God loves me. Sometimes it takes years. How many of you know this? It takes years for our emotions to catch up with our faith. I believe God loves me. I have faith that God loves me. But God wants his love to penetrate your soul. He wants it to penetrate your mind and your emotions. And sometimes that just takes time. The ultimate journey is a a great place to begin that process. Um, The ultimate journey is one of our small groups. And it begins in just a few weeks, September the 12th. But we need you to sign up by next week, September the 4th, if you're going to be part of that. Let me say this. Okay? Small group community... Is so very important to us here at Glad Tidings that we take an entire Wednesday night and we dedicate it to helping you find a small group that's right for you. This coming Wednesday night is our group link. We take the the kids auditorium, we turn it into this huge, massive event happening, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) where all of our small group leaders are there and you have the opportunity to meet with some of our small groups, find out what their groups are like and what they're about and when they meet and do they have childcare and find a group that fits you. Why is this so important? Because God created his people to live in community, in a community that shares the same temperature, The kind of temperature that causes people outside in our secular community to say, you know what? I want that community. The kind of community where you you walk over to somebody's house and they're having a fire pit out in their driveway and they're all sitting around talking and you're jealous. People are jealous because they want that. They want to taste that. We're really, really passionate about our groups. Now, I want to... I want to do something right now. And I want to I want to turn the message just a little bit. And the reason is is because God is speaking to us about this September. We've just concluded the series on culture shock. God, where are you leading us now as a church and this month of September is very very important. And I want to talk to you about it in the context of homothumadon, having the same temperature. Okay. Here's the deal. You don't have to live in, in Christian community to have homothumadon. Having the same temperature is not unique to Christian community. A non-Christian community who, who, who lives in proximity and time and sacrifices can also experience homothumadon. If you've ever been part of a gang, don't raise your hand. Okay, what do they do? They come together in proximity, spend a lot of time together. They make sacrifices, right? A lot of them have have disowned families and others, and they're so committed to this community. They're experiencing the same temperature. It's a dangerous temperature, but it's still the same temperature. It reminds me of of the uh, Jewish community. During the time of the first church. See, not everybody was part of that first church. There were a lot of Jews on the outside. They were saying, you know what? Jesus is not the Messiah. Right? And there's a very interesting verse, and I want to read it to you. It's in Acts chapter 7, verse number 57. And I want you to notice that here you have these non-Christians, these, these, Jewish, these Jewish people who did not believe Christ was Messiah, yet they experienced homothumadon. They had the same temperature. And here's what they did. And it says in verse 57, this is in the context of, of, of Stephen, who's preaching the gospel. OK, Stephen's preaching and he's about to get stoned. And the Bible says, then they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears or they covered their ears and they ran upon him. They ran upon Stephen with one accord. That's what the scriptures say, and they stoned him to death. Having the same temperature is not unique to the Christian community. What is unique to us is what we do when we come together. We don't throw stones. Right? We don't throw stones. What do we do? We are devoted to something totally different. And Acts 2 verse 42 says, They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So there's communities within our communities that have homothumidon. They have the same temperature. But it's not for God. It's for other things. For some, it's for persecution. There's all kinds of communities within our community. The second thing I want to point out as we wrap things up is this. Is having the same temperature does not mean having the right temperature. Having the same temperature does not necessarily mean that we have the right temperature. Jesus was speaking to the church in Laodicea. And he was describing this church that that had the same temperature, but it was not the right temperature. And it's recorded in Revelation chapter three, verse 15. And Jesus said this about the church in Laodicea. He said this, I know your deeds. That you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. What's going on here? Church has the same temperature, but it was a dangerous temperature. It wasn't cold, it wasn't hot, it was lukewarm. And Jesus said to this church, he said to them in Revelation three nineteen, he said, I correct and I discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn or repent from your indifference. In the very next verse, Jesus said this, here, this is how you change temperature right here. This is how you go from lukewarm to being boiling over for God. Revelation chapter three, verse 20. Jesus said this, here I am. Church, you need to hear this. This is the word God is speaking to glad tidings in this season and this month of September. Here I am, Jesus said, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and he with me. Ten days ago. Terry Brown, our ministry team director, very early in the morning, he he woke up and God gave him a vision. And in the vision, he saw this large brown rust colored door and he saw this figure of a man dressed in white. And immediately he knew it was Jesus. And Jesus was standing at this door and and he took his fist like this. Terry tells him, tells the story and he began to knock. He began to knock gently on the door. And as Jesus knocked on that door, the, there was this, this shaking and this quaking going on. He, he could feel, he could feel the shaking when Jesus knocked on the door. And then he would knock again on that door and again the ground would shake and quake. It was a very, very powerful experience. And then Jesus did something. He reached down in this vision that Terry had and he reached for the, the door handle to open the door. But the door was locked. And so Jesus put his hand up again and he began to knock on that door and the ground began to shake again. And then the vision ended with Jesus just standing there knocking on the door. And I believe what God is saying, he's saying, church, that vision and in Revelation chapter three and verse 20 are one and the same. God is wanting to raise the spiritual temperature at Glad Tidings Church. He's wanting us to have the same temperature but the right kind of temperature. The boiling over kind of temperature. God is standing at the door and he's knocking. He's waiting for the invitation. This is written to a church. Revelation 3:20 is to the church. I stand at the door of the church and he's knocking. Will the church let me in? And here's what we believe God is calling us to do. The month of September, we believe God's leading us to do a 21 day fast. 21 days of fasting and prayer. And what we're going to do is we are going to, during that time, we are going to open the door by repenting of our lukewarmness, we're going to open the door and we're going to fellowship with God as ever before. We're going to open the door and experience the power of God that's going to prepare us to reach the nations for Jesus. God is saying, I want spiritual temperature in the house. I want the same spiritual temperature and I want it boiling over. I want it boiling over. Listen, here's what we're going to do. Okay? Next Sunday, Corey Russell's preaching right here next Sunday. He was with us in January. He's coming back. Interestingly, he's been on the calendar for most of the entire year for next Sunday. God's up to something. He's going to preach next Sunday. Then the following Wednesday, which is September the 6th, that Wednesday night, we're all coming together that Wednesday night for prayer. And we're going to launch off our 21 days of fasting. Okay. So go have your Labor Day barbecues, fatten yourself up, do whatever you need to do. Because Wednesday, right? September 6th, we're going to start that 21-day fast and it'll end September 27th. And during those 21 days, we are going to give ourselves to God in a way we've never done before as a church. Okay? What are we going to do? How's it going to happen to raise the spiritual temperature? It's going to take the same three things. It's going to take proximity, with each other, with God. It's going to take time with each other and with God. It's going to take some sacrifice. It's going to take some sacrifice. We're going to encourage everybody to fast, to give up something, something physical for spiritual denial or for spiritual gain. We're going to give you some examples. Uh, In the next week and a half, we'll give you some different kinds of fasts that you can do. Some of you have never fasted uh, food or media or any types of things. We're going to give you different kinds of fasts that you can engage in we're going to give you the the cautions and things you need to be careful about when you're fasting and we're not fasting listen we're not fasting to get god's attention okay he said i'm i'm here he said i'm here he said i'm standing at the door knocking we already have his it he's trying to get our attention So when we fast, we're not trying to get God's attention. You know, we're not cutting ourselves and beating our bodies so God will notice. No, he's already right there. He's trying to get our attention. We don't fast to get God's attention. We fast to give our attention to God. And when we do that, we put ourselves in a place where God can tell us things that maybe we didn't have ears to hear before. How many of you believe that God's doing something? How many of you say yes? Yes. Yes, yes, the twenty one days of fasting and prayer, Lord, thank you for your church, thank you for what you're doing god we uh we thank you for Hohumumadan. We thank you for same temperature. God, I thank you that you bring about that same temperature, God, as we live together in proximity with time spent making sacrifices. God, I pray, God, that we would become that community of believers that loves to be together, that loves to be together. God, we know that powerful things happen when we come together. God, we also know that powerful things come together, God, when we seek you in prayer and fasting. And so, God, we just commit this next month of September God, do what you want to do. God, we say your kingdom come and your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If everyone would stand to your feet this morning, I want to invite our prayer workers to come. And I want to remind you of a couple practical things. If you're in a small group, over this next week, we're going to be talking about what does it mean for us to live in proximity? to give up our time and sacrifice for one another. If you're not in a small group, come back this Wednesday night because at 6.30 p.m. we're having group link in the kids' auditorium, all right? And be looking for information that we send through our email and through our app about fasting and the types of fasts that you can be part of during that 21-day fast from September the 6th through September 27th. If you're here today and you like prayer, our prayer workers are available. Last week, God did some powerful things in these altars. He wants to do powerful things today. Regardless of your need, come and allow us to pray with you. God bless you and have a wonderful week in Jesus.